a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today, we are so pleased to talk with Nathan Whiting. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for at least 10 years. Is that right? I think it's been about 10 years. It's been at least that long. Yeah. And he has just been a great support friend. Sometimes I will see him up at the Capitol lobbying on issues important to him. And I always enjoy that loving friendship hug that you would offer me, especially as I was going through the process of losing John. It just meant so much to me. We've been talking and I keep telling people, you know, we don't want to just talk about death on the show. <laughs> we know that people deal with a lot of things in life. And one of the things that we talked about it, and you were willing to share is that you went through a really difficult divorce and you have decided to come on and share with us a little bit about that today. Nathan, tell us about you, who you are, a little bit about your family and tell us your story. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for the time. This is, uh, I've evolved in how I've thought and talked and dealt with, you know, what happened more than 20 years ago now, you know, as I've grown and and matured. But I come from a, a family of medical professionals. My dad's a retired surgeon. My sister's a nurse with a actually a master's degree in nursing. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon. And so my whole life, you know, was my dad kind of expected me to to follow in his footsteps. And and that didn't necessarily happen (laughs) because I became a veterinarian instead of becoming a human doctor. But there have been a lot of things in my life that didn't go according to my plan. (laughs) Well, Um, just life. (laughs) Sorry, not 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 Yeah, pretty much everything didn't go according to my plan. You know, I I grew up kind of all over the Intermountain West as my dad went through medical school and then internship and residency and then on to his practice. You know, so that in itself kind of taught me a little bit about resilience and just being able to adapt to new situations and and move forward. And as I grew through that and as I, you know, went through high school, I the one thing that I did in high school that really taught me more than anything else was I, I wrestled that, that, that sport really brought me a lot uh, because it taught me about self-reliance and picking yourself up and working to well, just change and improve. And I did not know forward. that about you. I did not know oh, that yeah. you're a wrestler. That is funny because I was the towel girl and the scorekeeper in high school for the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't imagine why I might have been interested that in that. That is so funny. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah, funny. no, wrestling had such an impact on me that I coach high school wrestling now. 
because of that, I coach at Green Canyon High School up in Cache Valley. So that's very cool. But, and so the one thing in life that kind of sort of went according to my plan was I served a mission for the LDS Church down in Brazil. I went to Rio de Janeiro. And while I was in the MTC, I met a woman that we kind of hit it off. And I mean, we, we just corresponded. We knew each other. And and then after we both returned home from our missions, you know, dated and decided to get married. And that was, you know, really how I had envisioned life going. And what I didn't envision was the difficulties that that marriage would bring me during it and and after, um, you know, as things deteriorated and, and started to go downhill. Um, it was really difficult for me. I didn't, it, it wasn't what I'd anticipated. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't how I thought my life should go. Um, Tell us a little that, bit about that. What, what was not meeting the expectations? What, what was the disconnect? So, well, I think part of it was we just didn't, really know each other as well as we should have uh, before we got married. I think that we had some idealized versions of one another that we saw. And then when you're in the thick of life, those idealized versions kind of go away (laughs) or they're, you know, you see the, you see the flaws and you see the, the challenges, um, I was going to school full time. I was, you know, with the plan of becoming a veterinarian, uh, trying to work through getting a bachelor's degree and maintain a high GPA. I was also working full time, trying to support uh, a family. And how many kids do you have in that marriage? I had two daughters. They were born a year apart. The first one was born about a year after we got married, and then. I see the second was born a year later and a quickly made family quickly made. So you go from figuring out how to support yourself to figuring out how to support you and a wife and then figuring out how to support you and two other children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of stress while you're working full time working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it, and it was, and it was, I think it was stressful on everybody. It was stressful on my wife. It was stressful on me. It, you know, I, there were things that I felt like I needed to do that she felt like she needed more support at home. Uh, you know, I was working 40 hours a week and then I also needed to study. And sometimes I needed to study at school and she had some insecurities about what I was doing at school. You know, if I was, you know, who I was studying with and if I was she hanging had, out with other girls. Right. And, if she had some jealousy, know. insecurities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and so that really kind of triggered the, just the general direction that the marriage went. How long um, were you married when everything kind of fell apart? What's the timeline here? When things really started to fall apart, we'd been married about three years. And so pretty quickly, that, it, 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 it was just a quickly made family, a lot of stress. You're working. I mean, that's just a lot for anyone. We need to take a break, but we will come right back and we're going to pick up right here. Perfect.
A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Nathan, tell us. So you're three years into this marriage. You have four people you're responsible for. You're in school full time and uh, you're working full time. And you have a wife who is needing more support at home and also is dealing with her own demons, her own insecurities, and is very concerned about, you know, possibly losing you to another woman. Yeah. And that's kind of how things went. Um, there came a point where, you know, really there, there were demands for me to be home basically as soon as my classes were over. And then, you know, immediately as soon as I was done with work, just because she was questioning, you know, what was I doing? And, why wasn't I spending more time at home and through it all, you know, we, I was trying to do everything I could to make things better. And so one but, of the things but that you're I, young at the, that point. So do you really have the tools? Because do you really understand, okay, she has some insecurities. I can help support her in having more confidence by doing these things or, by being more communicative or being more available. And is this at a time where we have cell phones available or is this before cell phones? I mean, it was kind of before cell phones yeah. I and mean, they were starting to come in, but they weren't like super. Right. Not everybody you know, had omnipresent one. like yeah. they are now. And, and, you know, I didn't, there were things that I did and didn't have, you know, tools wise to try and help with that. I'm generally, not the most communicative person out there. I mean, I, I I do better in some arenas than others, for sure. I was just um, going to say, I have not experienced you not being communicative. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have strengths and weaknesses, and and I recognize, you know, that there was some of that that, you know, for me, as the jealousy or the you know, insecurity would pop up, you know, I was kind of flabbergasted and not necessarily the most, um, I I don't know if my response was the most appropriate, the most supportive, I suppose, because kind of my response was usually, why would you even think that, you know, why would you suspect that? What, what is it that I've done that would drive you that direction? And, so, yeah, it was not necessarily probably the best response for me. You know, we did try to do some counseling, some therapy together. And, you know, I think that by the time that we got to that point, um, the therapist actually in a in a one-on-one session kind of told me, I think your marriage has been over for a while. 
you just didn't know it. And, and so, how do you? How did that news hit you? I'm curious. I imagine you you know you're struggling. You're in counseling. You you're experiencing this. Did that come as a a surprise to you? Did it bring clarity to you to have someone else put that into words? It brought some clarity for sure. It was hard to hear. I was still committed to trying to make things work. I mean, I had two daughters that I loved and adored and wanted things to be normal for them and and happy. And I loved their mother too. I didn't, you know, at that point, you know, I still, even through all the struggles, you know, was not ready to give up, but it, obviously that's what it came to. And, and really the, the thing that made it clear is that what I thought the marriage was or could be was not ever going to happen was I had joined the national guard as a linguist, um, and was on a two week AT and it happened to be over father's day weekend that we were gone. And that was the day that she chose to tell me that she had filed for divorce was on father's day. Oh, Um, wow. wow. Yeah. That hurts. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it did. It hurt a lot. And, you know, the, the filing for divorce, you know, would have been one thing, but there were other aspects to, to the filing that really were devastating. Uh, the things that she chose to accuse me of the way that she decided to proceed with fighting during the divorce proceedings really were in my view, were were geared toward causing the maximum amount of damage that she could possibly cause to me mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I really felt like her goal was to destroy me. Oh, that's so sad. You know, you hear about this all the time. I didn't realize that you had gone through this, but you hear about that happening in marriages that break down, but it sounds like you genuinely loved this woman and you were trying to find ways to make it work. It sounds like maybe she had her own demons she was wrestling with that had nothing to do with you, but she wanted more control and more, at least that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, she definitely had her own demons that she was dealing with and challenges and struggles and those things long-term, you know, I hope she's dealt with them. I honestly, I haven't basically since the divorce, I've not had any contact with her. Um, one of the most difficult things. So our, the divorce proceedings actually dragged on for about 18 months because, because we were, she was trying to make it so that I had as little visitation as possible with my daughters, any visitation that because of the things that she accused me of during the divorce proceedings, any visitation that I had basically had to be court ordered. And then eventually was supervised visitation. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was not pleasant. It was not a good time in my life. I was living in Logan uh, by myself. She had moved to Texas with her parents um, and 
obviously my children. In fact, she'd originally tried to file for divorce in Texas, even though we'd never actually lived there and court there had no jurisdiction. Or, but it was rough. Uh, my mom told me more than once that, you know, during those years, she basically just waited every day for a phone call from Logan City Police, you know, telling her that I had, you know, killed myself. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, as bad as those years were, I never really got to that point where that was a serious consideration for me. I struggled. I didn't know where I fit or what I was doing or where I was going. I tried to continue going to school. That didn't work out very well. But uh, there were a couple of things that kind of carried me through at those points. And one was I'd actually developed a fair number of very good friendships at work with folks who I still pretty regularly see now, you know, 25 years later. Wow. Uh, and, and converse with, and we still have good relationships. And so that was helpful. I was uh, in a position where I could take time and, you know, go see my family as necessary. And then as the divorce started winding down, uh, you know, it was pretty clear that what was going to happen and where things were going to go. Then I, I actually ultimately moved over to Colorado and moved in with my, my uncle, my dad's youngest brother is three years older than I am. So we grew up more as brothers than, than uncle and nephew. So, you know, those were things that really kind of saved me and lifted me and helped me to continue to press forward, you know, knowing that there were people who did support me, who did believe me and who would be there for me no matter what. That's so critical and so important and is part of the necessary steps of resiliency. We need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. back I love that you were able to gather friends and people who believed in you who knew that the allegations being launched at you were untrue and that you had support in this really dark time and it wasn't a short time I mean it's short in the scheme of life but it's but certainly not in the moment and like you yeah. said you're, you're still pretty young I mean you're in your 20s when your world completely has fallen down Nathan, I know Michelle said we don't want this show to be only about people who pass away or who are buried. Mm. When someone dies, that's pretty final. They're not here. Now, what you believe about the next life, that's fine. But you you start Mm -hmm. to forge your way forward with the absence of that person. I'm curious if you can tell us how did you start to put your life back together with a separation from that person, but she is still the mother of your children. She did not leave. Like, I mean divorce and and death have I such didn't think that you could take kids out of the state yeah well it's so they did force the the divorce to go back to district court in Utah 
Yeah, I mean, the kids were already out of the state, and she never did move back into Utah until well after the divorce. But um, so there was a couple of things that I did, and one of them was I moved to Colorado. I knew that I had to make a fairly drastic change Mm. in my life. And it wasn't because, you know, going to school was the wrong thing or I was going to the wrong school, you know, in the wrong place. I needed to do something drastic to be able to lift myself up and turn things around. And I knew that I, even with the friendship support system that I had in Logan, I knew that that probably wasn't going to happen. I needed to be with family, with people who really knew me and had known me my whole life. So that was the first thing I did. It sounds to me that you were kind of suffering a crisis of, how is this person saying these things about me and who am I? Like That it kind of impacted you mentally as to losing connection with who you were and that you needed to reconnect to know, kind of rediscover yourself, rediscover yourself, and also be regrounded in who you are. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely, and and it was, you know, the the irony of all of it was that you know I had some cousins who had actually known my ex wife when they were going to school at Rick's. They'd known each other. I had a few friends from Washington where I'd grown up who had you know known her when they were going to Rick's together and. Kind of all of them said, well, we heard you were marrying her. We were confused. And I was like, well, you know, thanks for after the fact. Let right. me know that. But right. but it's okay. You know, it really was about reconnecting to family, reconnecting to, to who I was or who I am, and remembering that that I really was not the person that she tried to make me out to be. Mm-hmm you know, for all my flaws and I've got plenty, um, you know, I know, I know that I can be difficult to be around sometimes. And for all of that, I, I wasn't the person that she wanted to make me out to be and really getting back to my family and being able to be with those people and, and know that they supported me and they cared that helped me start to piece things back together as I move forward, as I let things settle down and, you know, refocused, I was able to go and find a job that, you know, I could work and, and really, uh, really work. It was physical. I was, uh, I went to work for a family friend installing fiber optic cable. And that was a, that was a hard job mm-hmm. and it wore me out physically and it gave me time to kind of renew my own appreciation for who I am and what my abilities were. You know, one of the things in in every job that I ever had, I, I would always focus on learning as much as I could about that particular job and doing more and, and growing and learning. And that was a reminder for me that, that's who I am. I'm someone who wants to learn and grow and move forward and do good things for as many people as I can. That's been my experience of you. Absolutely. 
So how many years was it before you met your new wife? Because I know you're back in Logan. That's where I've known that you've been for the past 10 years that I've known you. How long did did that period of time from Colorado to meeting your wife? So I actually met my wife while I was in Colorado. Oh, wow. And I had known of her for quite a while. I didn't really know her. I knew her, her sister a little bit better. But she lived not far from my grandparents uh, and my uncle. In fact, my uncle's wife is my wife's cousin. Um, Small world. So they, they've known each other forever, for their whole lives. Um, and so it was about two years from the time I I left Logan while I was living in Colorado. It was about two years before we met and you know dated and and decided to get married and and we've been married for that would be 22 years in june so i know that so, you're a veterinarian now so you finished yep. that I was gonna schooling say that. and you i must remember have gone back to school yeah i seem to remember you going back to school after i met you i did yeah, yeah. i actually i've only been a practicing veterinarian for five years part of resiliency right yeah um because life never goes as you plan. After I got remarried, I, we were living in Fort Collins, Colorado. I was trying to get into Colorado State University because they have a veterinary school, and that was the plan. And there was a bunch of hassles involved there and with residency and some other things. And time is funny. And, you know, I wound up going to Washington for a, for my brother's missionary farewell. And while I was there, I applied to a couple universities up there. And was accepted as a resident, even though I hadn't lived in Washington for like 10 years. So I went up there and I finished my undergrad and then didn't get into vet school at the end of that. And I was a little frustrated and wound up looking for jobs because I, again, I had a family that I needed to support and found a job down in Logan at a private research laboratory. Again, you know, working in kind of in the veterinary field, but not as the veterinarian. And I did that for about nine years and got to a point where I really still had that just gnawing feeling that I needed to go to veterinary school. And by that time, Utah State had started their program, their partnership with Washington State University. And so in 2013, when I was 40 years old, I went to vet school. I applied in 2012. I got in. School started in 2013 and and I graduated in May of 2017, so just five years ago, uh, I graduated as a veterinarian, and I've been practicing as a veterinarian ever since. And really, that's the thing that I would, I always try to remind people, is that it's never too late. You're never in a position where you cannot learn, and where you cannot grow, and where you cannot move forward. I love that you had this goal and it was still gnawing on your heart that you wanted to accomplish this and you found a way. You know, I also find it fascinating. I would think that there would be some trauma involved. You had this whole period of time where you're in Colorado. Years passed by. You could have been focused on trying to re-go back to school. Obviously, you needed some real downtime. You were not there to be able to have the capacity to do that for a time. But at any time, even before you got married with your wife, you maybe could have made that transition. It didn't happen for whatever reason, but it is interesting to me how 
sometimes we just need to take a step back. And I love that saying. I think it's in a song or it's just a saying. I don't know. But life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so true. Um, I, I've i been dating somebody. I actually, we broke it off. It's kind of a bummer. But um, one of the challenges is that he lives an hour away. And, and I'm like, you know, sometimes you don't plan for things to happen, but you just have to find ways to make them work. But it takes commitment to make that happen and if you don't have it it's not there right well yeah and nathan yeah i love i love that you're kind of this resiliency piece that you needed a new start but also a new physical start and i think sometimes when we face a loss or a devastation or a heartache or something and we try to rebuild right where we are that can be difficult Mm -hmm. and so for you you know moving to colorado kind of a, a fresh start a the physical surroundings, Michelle and I, we talk about that a lot, how our physical resilience and our emotional resilience are so connected. And I love that you were able to kind of just go get that clean slate and get started and never, never give up on that dream. You know, some dreams you think you have and then you kind of move on and you forget all about them. But if there's a dream or a goal that keeps following you and keeps following you, 40 years old, you're going back to school. I love that. I think that is so phenomenal well, that you had that peace of mind to say, I'm chasing this dream still. Yeah. The other part of that is, did you have some trauma about approaching your wife and how did she feel about it? Because it seems to be like school and the demands of work. And I remember you going through this. You were gone in Washington a lot. You were away from your family. And this was much more complicated than the first wife. Did you, did some of your fears come up for you about, you know, when I did this last time, I wasn't supported and... A, a little bit, but again, it's the the communication part of it. And when I got ready to apply, we sat down and we talked about it. And I said to her, I said, I'm going to apply one time to this one school. And if it doesn't happen, then we're done. And we're just going to move forward. You know, we're just going to keep driving on and we'll, we'll figure it out. Because it was. I, I knew that for her, it was going to be a huge deal. It was going to be a huge undertaking for all of us. We had five children at the time. Our sixth was born during my first year of veterinary school. And it was, I knew that it was going to be a huge undertaking. And our oldest boy was going to be a senior the year I had to go to Washington. So the last two years of school I spent in Washington and my wife and kids stayed in Logan area and lived and we were apart for those two years. And and it was, you know, there was a lot of stress, but we just kept working and talking through it and supporting each other as much as we could, you know. Were you able to visit? I mean, because I remember you just being gone a lot. Yeah. During my third year, I actually came home about every two weeks for an extended weekend because of just the way the school schedule was set up and kind of what I knew I could get away with more or less. So I was home about every two weeks. During my fourth year, which is a clinical rotation year, I was not home very much at all. I was home for the first month of that year uh, between a an internship, externship that I'd set up down here and a couple of weeks of vacation. But then I wasn't home again until Christmas time. And, and then I wasn't home again until spring break. And then I wasn't home again until after graduation. I mean, it was pretty, 
that fourth year was rough. It was long. Mm-hmm. I bet. I bet it was. That is an amazing story of not only resiliency for you to take on that challenge and do it and to approach a wife where this kind of was, from all appearances, the breakdown of your first marriage to say, this is still a hope, a goal, a dream that I have. And it is for the betterment of your family as well, right? Like the opportunities and the income and and all of those things and your own happiness you know, those are powerful things in a man's life to be able to do. And how was it different to have a wife that supported you in that? Well, honestly, it made all the difference. It made all the difference. It made me able to do it and to function well through it. You know, even through the struggles of a little bit of financial uncertainty, because I wasn't making any money and the amount of money that my wife was making was significantly less than what we'd been living on. And, you know, I was fortunate in a lot of ways. We had some agreements with my dad, you know, about opportunities that he kind of provided for us as kids that made tuition less of a concern. We were lucky because we had purchased homes that were, Maybe not the nicest house on the block, but they were what we needed and what we were able to afford. And so it wasn't a huge burden to try and find housing. And I mean, there were just a lot of things that we were fortunate in the way we had lived our life. And it made it so that we were prepared to deal with those challenges. And it made us able to successfully navigate that those four years and now we're in a, a way better position. So that's really amazing. You know, so many people I'm, I'm a part of a Northern Utah tribe of singles group nuts for short. I love that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I I've coming across a lot more divorced people than I ever have in my life. And there's so much unpacking and trauma that goes into that process. And some people really do take decades to heal that first marriage. And it's so sad because, I mean, life is so short, right? To have to take a decade to maybe unpack two to five years of a relationship. That's that's a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, Nathan, tell us what does resilience mean to you? You know, really, it is that ability to just get up one more time and keep moving forward. I think, you know, as silly as it is, that Chumbawamba song, Tub Thumping, was really popular during the time of my divorce. I get knocked down, but I get up again. They're never going to keep me down. Yeah. And that was just how I looked at it. And, Thanks and for really, the honestly, <laughs> We're going to be singing this all day long in our heads. Right, yeah. exactly. But I mean, that's, <laughs> that was what I needed was just that reminder. And honestly, I don't believe I could have done it if I hadn't gone through high school wrestling. I started wrestling in high school as a sophomore, so I started late. And I got just killed my first year. It was just a constant battle to get up and move forward and try to find small, small improvements every day. And those small improvements every day multiplied and made me a better wrestler. 
And I took that lesson and I knew that in my life, if I could just get up and look for small improvements every day, I would be all right. I love that. Me too. That is, I think that's such a good look at resilience. Small improvements every day. You don't, you're not just resilient for a minute and then you're done being resilient. You take it with you day by day, step by step. I love what you've mentioned about the importance of having um, that tribe of people with you. I think, Michelle, that was your word, the tribe. But whether it was your family in Colorado or your, your wife now, someone that can support you through the ups and downs because life is so demanding and draining and exhausting that I think sometimes we mistakenly think resilience means total independence and I have to do this by myself. And yet you've illustrated how it was having those people in your corner, people who believed in you early on and through the through the years that have passed since that have given you that ability to be resilient, to keep getting back up and to keep taking one small step forward, even if it feels like a really small step, you're going to keep getting up and taking it. I love that. I love that too. Thank you for coming on and sharing with us your story. Thank you for having me. It's It's been a pleasure and it's been a good reminder of things that sometimes get lost in the, in the stress and the weeds of everyday life. Of real so. life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love how you said when things just didn't go the way I had planned them. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Almost like life. <laughs> that sounds, sounds familiar. But thank you also for reminding us that it's never too late. It's never too late to learn, to grow, to progress, to chase a dream, to sacrifice because it's not easy to achieve those dreams. Yeah. But you've reminded us not only that you can get back up, but that you can get back up and get stronger. So thank you for that. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today on another journey through life's up and downs and the human resilience to get back up. I love that. I love that too. As you're listening, we hope that you've maybe reflected a little on resilience in your own life and some of the experiences you have had. We would love to share your story. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast, or you can email us directly at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And remember, whatever you do today... Remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.